Adam McBencourt. I'm good. We literally, like, the thing is we have no time to do a catch-up off mic. I know. Because you, I'm guessing you've got things to do. this is good. We're going to capture all the magic (laughs) on air. For I think the subscription for this podcast is up to $280 a month, which is strong. It adds true real value. (laughs) And, uh, of course, well worth it. Well worth it. Um, quickly before we get started, Word Tetris, you can go over to patreon.com to Word Tetris. If you're listening for free, you get the first 20 minutes. Uh, go to Patreon, get the full hour for a dollar an episode. Uh, but if you pay $3 an episode, you get the full hour plus a bonus episode. Bonus McBetancourt. That's all I'm saying. And don't you want bonus McBetancourt? You know. I was looking forward to getting my 20 back after I had given you three crisp $100 bills for my <laughs> subscription at the aforementioned 280 But are you telling me, Meryl Barr, <laughs> that access to this podcast is not $300, but $3? I mean, look, you took the bait. This is a greater deal than the Louisiana Purchase. <laughs> Dude, I missed you so much. <laughs> you been in New And York? that was a hell of a deal. You've been in New York for like... Five months to the day, months? April 16th till September How'd 16th. How did my city treat you? Uh, it was very good. Lonely, to be totally honest. I mean, we weren't... There wasn't the 200-person production team that kind of would spill out into the city. Uh, normally, we were just writing, so... It was uh, six, seven people right. all from New York that were going back to their lives. So I had, uh, over the period of five months, lived in two different boroughs, six different apartments, uh, in two different office locations. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I was moving. Yeah, but you know what? That's, I mean, New York is about moving. Like, the, a friend of mine has a thing he likes to say where, like, if anyone moves to New York who's not from there should have to go through a training course on how to walk. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no joke. And like, and, and phones are really fucking it up for the real New Yorkers because like the tourists are on their phones and the people just stop texting in the middle and it log jams. Right. Well, a lot of the thing is, the next thing is a lot of tourists don't end up where a lot of the commuters are. Thankfully, most of the time, there's like the line where yeah. sometimes can be a, like Penn Station can be a bitch. But most of the time, real New Yorkers aren't going to Times Square unless they absolutely like unless they work for MTV. They're not usually going to Times Square. I was there when the woman got run over by the guy in the car. Seriously? Yeah, that, that uh, happened while I was at work. And uh, then a guy got run over on the Blue City bike literally right out front of our office window. It was crazy, man. <laughs> like, the, the Blue City bike's a new one where I think that also might need a training course. I got it. That's how I got around. I would ride actually from Brooklyn in the, over the Williamsburg Bridge nice. into Chelsea. Like, nice. it was great. And, but, and during the summer, too. So it's like the, oh, you don't want to be in the house. So you, you were there during the subway crisis. Not yet. They're closing down the L line, I think, at the end of the summer for two years. So I don't know how people in Williamsburg and Greenpoint. (laughs) Queens is about to blow up. (laughs) Everyone will be moving to Queens. Mick Bettencourt, um, I had to have you on the show. Why, thank you. So the show's about rewriting. Okay. How much, well, how much do you hate rewriting? I, um, well, that is a very tricky word. Let's get into the deep definition of it. Okay. Personal rewriting as opposed to someone giving you notes, which is... Uh, no worries, man. Thank you. Um, which is... Why don't you do your bagels with locks after five months in New York? Man? I know. I, I, I told... They, they asked me, by the way, for those of you that can't see the words <laughs> that are listening, um, a onion bagel toasted with cream cheese, tomato, and onion just got dropped off in front of me. Meryl asked why I don't get locks. Russell and Daughters, amazing place uh, that a writer named Jeremy Robbins told me to try out. They had pastrami locks, Mm. which was amazing. 
But here at Coffee Fix, shout out to Coffee Fix, what I think is one of the best coffee shops in the city of Los Angeles. I don't think I'm cool enough to get my coffee here. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you think this is a real cool joint? I like this, like Kobe, the guy that owns I it. Kobe do. and his brother. If you see that smog testing place, right. that's his brother owns that. And then the two, and they're young, they're like your age, man. And they just scrounged up and he bought the coffee shop. Gelato Bar is my mine. No, I, I, I know like in I'm North. Little- I feel in, uh, like I'm a much better Tahunga Village. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good spot. Kobe asked why I don't like cucumbers, and I said, I need maximum stank to my breath. <laughs> so I go with onion bagel with onions on it. I can't have the cucumber <laughs> taking the edge off of the foul, horrific scent that comes. You have to brush your teeth 12 times after you eat this. Oh, absolutely. No, my first of all, I'm always about the onion bagel. Yeah. I get when I when I'm in, when I'm back home, I'm I am an I am an egg my favorite is an egg onion bagel. An wow. egg onion bagel is the shit. And you do that, you do that with the, the cream cheese, the tomato, the onion, the lox. And you put the lox over the tomato and onion yeah. so it doesn't fall off mm, the bagel. You gotta hold it in. Yeah. Okay. But the thing is, Helen, this is a great example of what rewriting is really like, which is you do about five minutes of actual work, and then I just jump to Twitter because it's like, I need to like get away from this for a minute because it's the, like, I, I, up until this year, I didn't realize the value of truly stepping away from something. Yeah. I did a six-month step away oh, wow, from a good. script this year. And when I came back to it, it went from, this is a good sample, to this is an actual thing can, that can sell and be an actual real thing and, and gets me meanings. Yeah. Like, there's a, there, I, I, I knew that you stepping away was important, but you don't realize the value of the true like, months-long step away, if you can afford it. Sometimes you can't afford it. Well, I think... Any real writer, he or she must be constantly developing and creating. Mm -hmm. So I think what separates somebody that has to tell a story as opposed to a real writer is someone that has to tell a story commits everything to telling and writing that one story. And then they finish that and then they cannot come up with another thing because they just needed to get that one thing out Mm. and they're frustrated and they're disappointed because they want the next thing to feel as magical and as personal as the first thing which it's like heroin you're going to have the first stories that you need to tell that are drawing you to writing anyway and then you must be able through craft and through persistence to be able to do those again but then here's the fun thing though is I've never had this experience, and I hear this re- real writers and real filmmakers talk about this a lot, of that feeling of hating their thing um, after they're done with it mm-hmm. because they spend so much time with it. I've never had that experience until this most recent one. <laughs> yeah. Where it was the one, because it was the one that was just, I knew there was something there, right? It was just the one where I was like, there's a real thing here. There was something really personal about it I was able to connect with what the character was feeling it, what it's about about is just I'll get into this in a second because I took meetings where it was basically a lot of people were coming back with I don't know what this is about I know what it's about but I don't know what it's about and I was through a rewrite able to finally lift the lid off that mm-hmm. and what it's about is being feeling lost in that time when you're young after particularly it's that time that's supposed to be either after it's after high school and either it's either after college or after high school. I stick with after high school for this mm-hmm. particular story. That the, rather the theme of it is that feeling of feeling lost, and that you're being told that you've been given all the tools you need to live from the training of quote unquote school, and then you get out of school and you realize the whole thing was a bullshit lie, and then but none of that. It wasn't a, it wasn't a lie. It was, was a, an, an incredibly um, fine-tuned well-presented con (laughs) (laughs) but 
but, to, 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 to separate <laughs> anywhere from fifty to $200,000 from your pocket. Mm-hmm. Now, unless you're going to be an accountant, right. a lawyer, or right. a doctor where you need very specific information to execute your job, You've been conned. Yeah, but that's college. Or, but I also argue it also is true for normal, you know, uh, K through twelve schooling, where it's just they give you the tool. They, yeah, they teach you how to t- add one plus one, and you know what I mean. They teach you yeah. some basics, but the the how to really live, like you know, they don't they don't teach you that shit. Well, your parents are supposed to teach you that, my man. True. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm not I, 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 parents. I, I hate to be a fucking crabby. <laughs> I'm not an o- older man, but. I just got through working with some millennials, man, and woo, like I thought we were pieces of shit when I was younger, but <laughs> you know, like just, you know, look, every young, every young generation has its quirks that pisses off anybody, anybody that's a day older. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of, I won't speak for your parents cause you seem to be fairly well fairly assembled, well but <laughs> you know, like my, I, I sure I want to be friends with my son and my daughter, but if I, they're, they're my children. My job is to raise them and prepare them for life and give them a loving, encouraging environment. But I'm not, I'm not their friend first and I encourage their feelings to get hurt. I encourage failure. I encourage them to try and be bold and get their fucking heart crushed because that's what's waiting for them in the real world you know what i mean and And i'm a safe place for them to return back to but the real world doesn't give a fuck about you your problems what you want what you need it's we're fucking chimpanzees and pants with the internet which is a great way to think about rewriting because that script don't give a shit about you it doesn't care how you're feeling segway <laughs> it doesn't care do you miss <laughs> podcasting i feel like you miss it no, a little bit <laughs> it, it doesn't give a shit about you it doesn't give a shit about how you're feeling that day it doesn't give a shit if you have the flu it doesn't give a shit if you had a bad day it's work man it is work but it's it doesn't feel like work until it like at least for me, it never has ever felt like work, but it has felt like, I've always said this, I know it's a job, but it's never felt like work. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it somehow is elevated above that. When I think about what work is, I think about all the crappy part-time jobs I've worked and can't stand, where I was miserable for the however many hours a day I was spending there, knowing I just needed the cash for it. Whereas... Writers write for free, we get paid to take notes. That is a great line. Notes are rewriting. So that's, you know, to to, to keep the topic. Now, it's going to start to feel like work when you get notes like this. And I'm one of the more recent so that it cannot get tracked back to anybody. But we were all talking about the most insane notes that we've ever gotten. They were working on a procedural show. I don't know if it was a pilot or an actual series. They're on the phone with um, some executive for the series that's giving notes on the script. And they said, you know, it's really difficult for us to know that the witness protection has uh, has picked up in this black SUV um, and drives off with them. Can we put witness protection service on the side of the car? Can we just get that signage? And then the writer was like, well, that's exact. It's they're supposed to be a secret. They're in the witness protection program right. so if the bad guys were looking and then right. they saw a car driving down the street that said witness protection service they would know the person they're looking for right. is in the car but the thing is uh, but hold on i have but hold on this is Don't during defend that note Meryl. i'm not defending the note but i have a question no i'm not defending the note I, I have a question this was when they were going into production or in the script this is for the script right they wanted to add it in post signage on the car so that they knew what car the person was getting into <laughs> So it's already shot, and they were just okay. Yeah. No, that's a shitty note. 
Um, there's good. No, no I think John Rogers said something <laughs> very interesting to me on our on our first episode, which was the 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 bad notes are the ones where they feel like mandates where you're said do this and you have to do it. The good execs and the good notes are the ones where you get the notes and then you get to have a discussion about the notes and discuss. And he he gave me an amazing retort that I intend to use from now on whenever I get a note I don't understand, which is if someone gives you a note you don't get, you get, you answer back with, how do you want to feel in this moment? And because that's a base, like, because then someone can actually give you an answer. Yeah. And then, and then you get that answer and you go, oh, I can address that. Like, you want to yeah. feel X. Oh, I can find a way to get it so you feel X. And that's a, like, the, getting, breaking this down to raw emotion, I feel like might be the only, like, when I was getting that note of, I don't know what this is about. Yeah. That is an addressable note. I just didn't understand. How it took. I needed to learn how to address it because I'm still new at this, even though I've been at it for... Getting notes, to me, I got notes on my last thing. It was from a friend who I respect tremendously, and notes is a part of the process, and I took it incredibly personally because I wanted to really make my friend look good, and I put at least 100% more pressure on myself to to which did nothing mm -hmm. except make the writing worse. And, um, you know, so actually the pressure that I put on myself for the notes that he had to give me because he was the showrunner anyway, right. uh, sucked. Right. It just added so much more pressure, but that's a part of the deal, man. Yeah. And it's, uh, no, but there's, it's often tremendously political. Th yes. And there's a way to, I feel like there's a way to go about it where you don't hate yourself. Maybe like, I remember I, on my, on the last sample, one of the other things that happened was someone ha someone said to me, you're a TV critic by by profession right now take this script and i want you to read it like a tv critic and really go if i was a t really say to yourself if you were a tv critic watching this pilot what would you knock what yeah. would you go after and i did and by doing that was allowed me you're all right i'm gonna i'm gonna try and promise this the last time on this show i'm gonna mention this but i probably will fail okay but mick is gonna laugh really hard when i tell him this there, in the last, I, there was there's that moment in a rewrite where sometimes, and you know this, where you have this thing that you've been working with for, you've had this thing in the script from the outline, right? Yeah. This, this element where it's like, I've, I've got this, I love it, I'm keeping yeah. this in, and then after, and then it takes you a few few times, but after a few drafts, you go, this is a problem, yeah. and I now have a term for mine. It's called sniper boyfriend. Sniper boyfriend. Sniper boyfriend. Oh my God, so <laughs> <laughs> and sniper boyfriend was a thing in the last script where you know our char main character's boyfriend who is not the villain of the show but is connected to the villain of the show we learn that because he kills about 10 of our government agents and it it was never the problem is that it was never t so bad it bogged down the script but never so good that it elevated it it was just a moment of you know visually dynamic exposition to explain this guy's a bad guy and I when I went back through it it, it was always the moment where uh, it was a sticking point for people because that one of the other notes I got was that the dial for the script is always at 11 which I thought was a good thing I watched so much network television that the dial's always at 11 the dial doesn't always come back to 3 that I was like okay just keep it 11 keep them engaged keep them going through and mm -hmm. a lot of the notes were like I don't have a moment to breathe at any point in the script. And so 
I used that, I, so what I did was I removed Sniper Boyfriend and stole a scene from another script that I had written for, that was meant to be a pilot presentation for this pilot. And I took the scene out, which was a really cool moment that was going to save for later, and plopped it into where Sniper Boyfriend was, where it's a prisoner transport that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's so much less visually dynamic, but you get so much more out of the scene. Mm. And it, it actually ends up elevating the script, and you actually learn things about more than that one character in that moment. It's those kind of moments where I feel like we, it was where it was that moment in that particular draft where I realized the importance of rewriting in a way I hadn't before. It was an aha moment. Part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast now is because of that moment. That's very cool. What is your? Well, you also had another body of work to draw on, which is also as equally as important. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You had another script that you had written because you're a writer, mm-hmm. so your tool belt and the access to, 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 to things was greater mm-hmm. than somebody that is keep writing the one yes. thing that they think is going to be the thing right. that's going to change no, their po- life this forever. this podcast is not for people that are writing the one thing because I know people who are toiling, who have spent three years toiling over the one thing. I know. And it's a shame because you look now. If at that's a feature or a book, that right. may be your great American novel or right. your one feature that you feel like you may not want to be a feature writer that wants rewrite work and features. And you know, there's all these subsets of work that you can find as a writer. That's fine. But like you said, this is for writers. Write. They continue to write. They're working on the one thing. When they get log jammed on that, they bounce to another thing. The other project that they're working on. Like right now, I'm. Um, just to give you an idea of the workload, and I don't say this to sound like I'm working less or more than anybody, but like I have four fully fleshed out pitches. I'm going in with a take on Thursday. I'm working on a spec feature, and I'm finishing a memoir. Jesus. Oh, the memoir's not done yet? Well, I wrote a draft, but it, oh, okay. I took the break that you talked about right. at the beginning of this episode and realized that all I did was really write an autobiography with no... That's all sizzle right now. Well, it's very linear. So I'm just trying to figure out what's the most interesting way to tell that story. Okay. So I'm curious. I don't think there's ever a point where you know you struck gold, right? But there are definitely moments where you feel confident you nailed something. Like there was a, in that draft, there was a line. You may be that kind of writer, not you particularly, but there are many writers that can go this, they're they're like... um, uh, Bannon from Seinfeld, right. you know, like I killed it, Jerry. I killed it. I'm the best. Like, and they need that to hype themselves up, right? But most writers, myself included, tend to be go through various stages of a crisis of confidence. It almost never comes from the writer, him or herself. It always comes from some external thing saying this isn't good or you should change this, and then that's the catalyst to kind of fall off the beam right. for however long and then return. I feel like another thing I ran into with another script that I worked on this year was knowing when to leave it alone. I feel like it's very, it's so, like, it's so easy because of that, t- the amount of time it takes to do these things. It's so easy to write something in the beginning that you know was great in the beginning and that you had, there's nothing wrong with it other than that you just feel like because you've been staring at it for so long that you want to change it. But it doesn't need to be changed. And that resisting that urge to just, it's, it's been sitting for, it's been silent for too long. I gotta, I gotta change it. It's not there. But it's like, no, it was there. Like, it was good. And I feel like it, learning to resist, it's not unlike the rule of filmmaking editors, film mm-hmm. editors, of the, a great editor is not someone who knows when to cut. It's someone who knows when not to cut. And there's truth to that in writing as well. Sometimes it's yeah. about knowing when something 
you is done and not stressing over it anymore would you feel would you and do you ever have that where it's like you got to stress over it i got to get it perfect every time i don't know i mean i may have done that earlier on in in my career i look at it very um i try to approach it passion passionately and with great determination to hear the rest of this episode head on over to patreon.com slash word tetris